Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. Thanks for joining today's conversation with environmental disruptors. The ELI Innovation Lab is really excited to invite you behind the scenes of a cannabis growing facility. Why? Because even though this burgeoning sector could pump billions of dollars into the national economy, the aggregated economic impact masks the everyday battles of sustaining a cannabis facility. Jesse Peters, the founder of Ecofirma Farms, shares his personal journey of growing cannabis for financial and environmental sustainability. We filmed this episode at the Ecofirma Farms facility near Portland, Oregon. To watch the video, go to www.eli.org podcasts. To begin, tell us about this brand name, Ecofirma Farms. Uh, Ecofirma Farms came from uh, a realization back in medical days. So first started selling to medical dispensaries and you would go into these medical dispensaries and to be totally honest with you, you'd always go in with nothing in hand and check the place out first because there were some sketchy facilities out there in the very, very beginning. But I would get a chance to just watch as other vendors would come in to try to move their product into a dispensary and they had no name of their company, they had no marketing, they had no packaging. It was literally walk in with a plastic sandwich bag and try to sell somebody your cannabis for a certain price. So for us, I thought, well, we need, well, I want to bring in test results and I want to bring in branding and marketing and packaging and, uh, and have a presentable product. That's what I would appreciate if I was a consumer, whether it's B2B or B2C. So we decided we needed to do that. We needed to, if you're going to be a company, be a company. Uh, and there's, honestly, there's a company out here, an excavation company that's called Terra Firma, and they've got a little thing under it that says, we move the earth. And I always really appreciated that they went down that Latin path and terra firma and, you know, solid ground and we move the earth. And I just thought, I don't know, I just always thought it was a great company. And then one day pulling up someplace saying, I'm going to give this a try and come in as a company and as a brand and present myself professionally and just act as if. Uh, and I just thought Ecofirma Farms, solid ecology. That made sense to me. So I just walked in the door and said, hi, I'm with Ecofirma Farms. And and it stuck. The Ecofirma brand has also gained a reputation for its values, particularly in environmental sustainability. What did this turning point look like? Uh, that would probably be the first time I saw how many pounds of CO2 were put in the atmosphere for one pound of cannabis produced indoor. And this was back when there was nothing but HID, metal halide, magnetic ballasts, I mean, real power consumers, uh, and there wasn't really a lot of option other than that. Uh, a lot of CO2 generators where people were burning natural gas or burning to create CO2 in their environments or growing in basements, just using negative pressure so you're pulling heat out of the house, and you start realizing how compounding that is, and, and then looking at wanting to do this in, to scale in an industry, I couldn't look myself in the mirror and know for profit that I was going to be doing that to the environment. So it was time to figure out how we were going to accomplish that task. And so we did a lot of experiments with LED lights and a lot of experiments and a lot of research and a lot of failures, figuring out how to be better. And, and then honestly, one day looked on the power bill and saw where it said, would you like to know more about renewable energy? And so we called the phone number and realized that we had access to 100% clean wind power, which then 
made all of our electrical footprint carbon neutral, which to this day still is. Uh, if you can knock out your carbon footprint for electricity on indoor cultivation, you're 90% of the way there. So that just feeds into the next, into the next, into the next. How do we get rid of our garbage? How do we make sure we use the right nutrient containers? How do we work with sustainable companies? And all of the environmental sustainability wound up leading to corporate sustainability for economic, uh, how would you say, for economic stability. So you have established this 23,000 square foot indoor farm. What is your production output and how does it compare to industry averages for a facility this size? So our, our output, depending on strain, runs between 150 and 200 pounds a month at a 10-day cycle, and we're only running in a little under half of our license capability. So we actually could up that and harvest every six days and be pulling down in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 pounds uh, a month. So industry-wise, uh, when it comes to indoor cultivation, uh, we're we're putting out quite a bit. We're in the we're we're at the top tier of organ producers that are that are producing at that quantity. Uh, Industry-wise, it all depends on license size. You know, Washington has thirty thousand square foot canopy spaces, a lot of outdoor production, and once a year light up greenhouses. But for indoor cultivation, for us to be able to put out. 200 pounds a month from essentially 4,700 square feet of flowering canopy space at $189 a pound. We're, as far as I can tell, at the top of our game. Is there a standard metric for output per square foot? Unfortunately, in the cannabis industry, what you're finding is there's a lot of cultivators who don't even, they don't, they don't calculate it. It's been such a large profit margin for so long that nobody considers how much their nutrient cost or how much their price per pound cost. It really was always just a weight game, a, 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 a like uh, almost a rite of passage to be able to say what your skill level was if you could get to a gram a watt. That used to be the, the holy grail was kind of a gram a watt. Most of us, you know, we're getting somewhere around three quarters of a gram a watt. If you're getting a half gram a watt, that was like the basic, like anybody could get a half gram a watt. But if you could get up to a gram a watt, then you were putting out two pounds of light. And if you could put out two pounds of light, that, that was huge. And now you see campaigns, and obviously there's companies out there that are using the three a light kind of as their mantra or motto, everybody trying to get to three a light, three pounds of light. Uh, so you can see that the game's gone quite a ways forward. Uh, for us, we cultivate at, everybody has their own metric, and like I said, a lot of people don't calculate it, but we cultivate uh, in our larger strains at north of two grams per watt under an LED system, and north of 5.09 grams per cubic foot of flowering canopy space. Most people don't calculate cubic feet, so that's kind of a hard one as well. Uh, I mean, I know that when we went through our financial audit, we were five cents a gram off at production cost from Canopy, uh, and Canopy grows in a greenhouse. So that puts us pretty far up the chain, I think, for indoor cultivation. Indoor farming means a controlled environment. As we look around, there are interesting pieces of equipment in your growing room. Can you describe the role of technology in indoor farming? Uh, one of them being, as a lot of growers are starting to recognize, using LED lights. So we use uh, Fluence lights. There's a lot of LED companies out there. Some perform better than others. We have really enjoyed the customer service and performance of the lights that we have currently. 
So thinking about LED lights, it's once again, it's a good compounding factor. Uh, LED lights consume less electricity. These are our vegetative lights. They're consuming 300 watts of electricity at any given time rather than consuming 600. Uh, we don't have to change our bulbs in them every six months to two years, depending on what type of lighting system you're using. Uh, they don't put off heat. I can grab them and hold on to them. Whereas an HID light at full capacity is going to run at around 13 to 1400 degrees. These are running at 110, 115. Uh, so you then don't have the HVAC system requirements. And that compounding factor adds to then having leaf surface temperature. One of the big concerns with growing under LED light is leaf surface temperature because you don't have the radiant heat coming off the lights. Well, not having radiant heat coming off the lights actually helps us with our pest management because it does not attract the insects the way radiant heat attracts insects under HID light. It also doesn't require as much out of our HVAC system since we don't grow at the same standard temperatures under HID, which is typically in the 76 to 78 degree range, ideally while lights are on. Uh, we grow at a higher temperature because we want to bring that leaf surface temperature up and that root zone temperature to its ideal place in the system. Uh, we use Trescore on our walls, which is an antimicrobial 100, comes from 100% recycled material. It's super reflective, it's easy to replace, it has a dead space in the middle of it, which makes us um, a little extra R value, and the radiant heat that carries from room to room through walls, even past radiation, or past uh, radiant heat transfer, changed all of our need to up the dimension and the R value in the walls. And so, all these little compounding factors, uh, along with multi-tier systems, along with shared environment for HVAC, along with um, automation systems for feed, we use a really advanced automation system for our feed that uh, has not only taken away and added, to, not only added to our corporate sustainability for the fact that we don't have to have as many employees to do tasks, but it adds to the health and well-being of our plants because we don't have to have employees who are focused on nutrient, they're focused on plants. There must have been a significant capital cost associated with this tech. Has Ecofirma Farms realized the value from the investment? It's not so much that people don't always want to employ it as much as it has an extensive upfront capital cost. And if you're wrong, that doesn't mean you can just scrap it and grab something new. And so I think that this is a reason why we start to see kind of wavering in the industry where it's really difficult for, for cannabis cultivators to span out into that technologically advanced world of automation. Uh, this equipment in and of itself did come with a pretty significant cost. All automation equipment comes with a significant cost. Uh, however, this equipment saves us easily three full-time employees. And so if you do that math, our ROI on this equipment is easily accomplished in a year. Outside of that, you start looking at all the data tracking. You start looking at the plant care maintenance. You start looking at what our rooms looked like when they were being handled manually versus now being handled on automation and the consistency and how much our production has gone up. And there are intangibles there that reduce that ROI significantly faster. Out of curiosity, do you have a lesson learned from the use of tech or equipment over the years? 
years and years ago when um, first starting out cultivating in basements, you would have these basements with these concrete floors. And so a lesson, a lesson learned on our part, which I think lots of people learned is we would get these big carbon filters. Uh, any growers common with them, they're carbon filters and we'd run fans through them at you know 1200 CFM and they would drag air through the room and that way your neighborhood didn't smell like cannabis, uh, which was important uh, in the early days. Uh, what we didn't realize was, so we would take the carbon filters and we'd set them down on the ground and then we'd put a fan on top of them and that fan would vibrate the carbon filter and on a concrete floor, it would start to vibrate the carbon from the top of the filter down about an inch or two inches, thus having no carbon around the top, path of least resistance, all of that air then sucks through there and you come home one day from work and you've got all your neighbors outside and everybody's trying to figure out where that smell's coming from and you know exactly where it's coming from. So you immediately run inside and you shut down your fans and you turn everything down and you start to go into a panic and then you go to the grow store and you buy another filter because the filter must have somehow gone bad and then two weeks later you're in the same problem and you only have to do this a couple of times before you realize that you take the filter off the floor and you hang it vertically off some straps. Uh, cannabis Air Filtration 101, lessons learned. As an emerging sector, there's still lots to do, particularly in gathering and tracking data. As a grower, what kind of technology development do you think is needed most? And every state has their own seed to sale tracking system. We use Metric here in Oregon, which they're using in California and Nevada. Uh, metric is fairly predominant. It, having a seed to sale tracking system, uh, it's very clunky because every state has their own set of rules. So it's not really the fault of Metric or Franwell or the designers. It's, it's in seed to sale tracking, it's a function of you've got a lot of different rules that are trying to use a, 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 the same piece of technology that still needs to operate efficiently as a company. Once we can get away from seed to sale tracking at the uh, level that we're at now, since we can't have out of state transfers, I think that that will lighten up. What we're really starting to see though, and what is showing a lot of promise is third party software, where they can create an API and reach across platforms for working with seed to sale tech, but also being able to bring an ERP platform, being able to bring an accounting platform, being able to bring a tracking system that works not only with cannabis plants, but also with your inventory, your product, your nutrient, your costs. Being able to tie all that together with a technology piece that can also talk across the platforms to our seed to sell tracking is going to be a game changer. Uh, <clears throat> you're going to see, or we're seeing now, a lot of companies trying to get into this space. Not to mention that there's a lot of data to be collected in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a lot of data to be collected in there uh, that data obviously has value as we start to see what it takes to feed a plant, how much it costs for that plant to cultivate and specific strains, what their nutrient levels are and how much it costs for them to cultivate. When you start to get into large scale, when you start thinking about national legalization, when you start thinking about international export at the scale that the United States can put it out in, you start realizing that that data tracking gives large scale companies the ability to drive their costs down low enough that make it exceptionally difficult to compete with them and give them a higher profit margin. Uh, tech plays a huge piece in this space and it just moving forward only on the tracking systems where we're looking at seed to sale tracking, it's the tip of the iceberg. Being able to look at technology pieces where we're data tracking into our metric systems or our automation feed system is actually starting to data track our environmental conditions, uh, the moisture in our soil, the root temperature, the 
the output of our lights and what the electrical capacity is of them so we can see when the drivers start to go down and they start to use more electricity, we can calculate the exact time that it is economically viable for us to change those lights out. All of those pieces tie together for efficiency. And at the, at the onset of all this and looking at it, one has to consider that if you can grow lettuce in a warehouse in Brooklyn and make a profit, we obviously can do it with cannabis indoor and make a profit. We just have to get substantially more efficient at it. And that tech is what's going to help us get there. Has Ecofirma Farms' commitment to environmental sustainability and doing the right thing paid off? We went from $24 to $2,600 a pound is what we were moving our cannabis at uh, to six to $700 a pound at average market price in a 90-day time frame. And I think that that makes quite a few, at least with the other cultivators I've spoken to in newer states coming on, it makes quite a few people open their eyes real wide. And for us, fortunately, the environmental stance we took for environmental sustainability led to financial sustainability. Uh, it's all these compounding factors. It's actually less expensive to grow in a sustainable manner, thus adding to our bottom line. And having the ability to cultivate for $189 a pound or less um, in a market with such high supply gives us an ability to still make profit when we watch those margins shrink and for some people not only shrink but disappear and go into the negative. Um, yeah, our environmental sustainability actually compounded into giving us corporate sustainability. As a grower, what was your biggest aha moment? Honestly, I think the aha moment of realizing phenotypical expression and what happens to plants when you change, cannabis plants in particular, when you change their environment and how you need to adapt to that was, it was one of those lessons that we learned fairly recently in the last three to five years, but then you immediately go backwards in time and think of over all the years and you get an aha moment where you're like, that's why that was different. That's why every basement was different. That's why every shop was different. That's why it always took us a year in a new space to catch up and figure out what that space grew like. It's not the space, it's phenotypical expression within the space and starting to comprehend then that um, like a soil food web or like the pillars of any plant where you're looking at an environment versus food versus light and how that triangle works together, it, it was definitely a larger aha moment of uh, understanding how much we don't understand about plants. And do you have a message for other growers? Don't lose sight of the purpose. And the purpose, at least for us, is to make careers not jobs, to give people a future, to leave the planet better than we found it, to wake up in the morning and feel happy and comfortable with whatever it is that we are accomplishing as we are not a drag on the planet, the system, or the society. Uh, if you lose focus of that, I think it's really easy to then lose focus of even why you come to work and people, they don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Thank you, Jesse, for sharing your insights and for hosting us at Ecofirma Farms. Thank you also to our listeners 
Stay tuned for more from Conversations with Environmental Disruptors. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at ELI.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.